Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to Marches and Movies Podcast. Coming up, we look forward to the discs coming out in the next few months. So, welcome along to Marches and Movies Podcast. And joining me tonight is Simon Jer and Mark. Good evening, guys. Hello. Evening, Phil. Good evening, Phil. And uh, we're going to kick off uh, with uh, this uh, podcast, this uh, shorter-than-normal podcast, as this will be the format going forward, with uh, some news stories. We'll then be back in two weeks' time with our review roundup. And uh, in between that, we might even have the odd film discussion here and there. So... uh, Stay tuned for future podcasts as they should be coming on a more regular basis. So I guess we have to kick off uh, with probably the biggest disc of the year announcement and that is Avatar James Cameron's uh, 3D epic which is not coming on disc in 3D but we are getting a 2D version. So the disc will be coming at April 22nd US stateside and uh, April 26th in the UK. Stars Sam Worthington, Sigourney Weaver and uh, of course directed by uh, Mr Cameron himself. So guys uh, are we looking forward to this? No. No. Um, reasonably. Well the thing is the film was a phenomenal success of course. You know we all know it's the, the top grossing film of all time beating his own Titanic. But of course, if you take off the two quid extra that you have to pay to go in because you need the 3D, does that make it not quite as successful? But anyway, um, you had to see it at the cinema, essentially, didn't you? You had to see this film at the cinema. It was promoted as the first 3D, new 3D technology, 3D, 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 3D. You had to see it in 3D at the cinema because we're not, we all know it's not in the home format yet and won't be for, well, any appreciable time. Your uh, videos notwithstanding, therefore. But um, so we're going to get a nice 2D version of it. But, you know, I found the film really quite dull. It was a spectacular thing to watch in that it was great 3D. But my God, how boring. How boring was that film? I have to agree with you, Simon. I do not think I would be able to sit through nearly three hours of Avatar again. It was just too lengthy and hot and all as Gurney Weaver's Avatar was. <laughs> just ain't worth watching it again. I mean, like the storyline was basic pap uh, as you said only for the 3d i don't think i would actually caught this one myself Thinking whether to get swept along with the tide here of uh avatar hate or whether just to be a little kind of dissenting voice of mild enthusiasm you know i i think it, it, it it's one of those films where it's somewhat muddied the waters that it's been released in 3d and i don't think people will really know how they feel about it until they've seen it in 2D and until we've been given a decent Blu-ray disc. And so um, I think a certain amount of the disappointment that a lot of people felt with the film is also mixed in with the disappointment they felt with the technology itself. So, you know, it's very hard to judge something when it's coming on a a new platform in a new format or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I I think there there may be redeeming qualities to it. I, I think it may just be a good spectacle on the home format. I mean, like, I would definitely be interested to see how it looks in blue. I would say it looks stunning. And the 3D was 
incredible. But the movie itself, it's just not worth it. When you're only going to have a high-definition transfer that will look very, very good, but there's other movies that look very good out there, could end up being another Transformers too. I've got to say, I don't agree with this all. It looked absolutely amazing. Uh, worship that people seem to be giving it. I thought it looked like a, a PlayStation 3 game. I had no absolute realism there at all whatsoever. It looked like a big video game to me. That tree looked pretty good. The tree did look pretty good. The tree in 3D, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to watch the 3D. There's particularly the the the, the tendril bits and the, the um, petal things that were flying around, you know, a typical Disney shot, really, um, when they're standing under the tree and all those bits. I mean, they, those things are, are pretty damn good, and, and the depth you've got, into the frame, particularly that um, that first shot when he's doing there in the uh, just coming out of the the hyper hyper sleep or whatever it was, um, you know, and, the, and he's being pulled out and you're looking way 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 back into the ship. I thought that was particularly good, a real real sort of eye opener if you like. But um, I just got so bored of the film, and for me, you know, I just couldn't, you know, it was all too much poker hunters. So I got no legs and bored and blah, 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 you know. Is there a certain is there a certain level of disappointment though that people feel simply because he's gone on this slightly environmentalist tangent when all we really want is something closer to the yeah, abyss thanks. or Terminator if it was going to be done correctly? Is there a slight disappointment that it, it's Cameron continuing to to move slightly more towards the mainstream audience. Well, it, it it wasn't very well disguised, was it? The whole message behind the film, was it? It was, uh, you know, up in big neon lights or big blue people. That what? seems to be something that has wearied people to a certain extent almost before they've gone in, though. It's been well publicised, and then when you get in there and you find out that it's it's not even mildly layered into the story, it's just there, and it's one big statement. It, it it kind of wears people down before they've sat through about three hours of it. And the tree got blown up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. He's been angling towards that since Terminator 2. The PG-13 get more people into the cinema. I mean, like, Terminator 2, like, looking back now, I recently watched Terminator 1. Terminator 2, although it's a fantastic film, they could have done with a bit more violence. The whole, the machine won't kill anybody. What a load of rubbish. Yeah, the mm. more I watch Titanic, the, you know, I keep getting this feeling that it's going to miss the iceberg at some point. Anyway. Well, uh, apparently um, they did record a version where it did miss the iceberg for American audiences, believe it or believe it not. But I haven't seen the film because I'm not a big girl. <laughs> Yeah. I make a point never to watch it. It was on the um, Channel 4 um, HD recently, wasn't it? And I made a point of switching over because I never, ever want to see that film. Good views, Emil. Yeah, so ap- apart from, obviously, the the big message in Neon Lights and, and 3D, which in some cases worked, in other cases, such as myself, it, I found it drawn me out of the movie. And I noticed you guys are all picking up on points as well, which obviously took you out of the movie because you were you were noticing things that... Um, normally you wouldn't notice, uh, like Absolutely. Simon mentioning the depth of field and so on. And of course, yeah, well, just the story just wasn't a good story, was it? You could oh, have no. done that film in an hour, and then think how quick and punchy. Hey, that's a phrase. Quick and punchy. That would have been. Yeah, and punctual. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I guess from what we're all saying around here, uh, we're not all fans um, of this. Uh, so, guys, we're going to be picking it up on on Blu-ray. We're going to be giving it a, a second chance in in proper two D. I, I do think that, you know, there's a reason. I mean, if you're going to go back and rejudge something, 
it's like any film. If you've watched it several times, then you can really pan it. I I, I panned it on the Robo Jocks robot at the end alone. What a rip off of Aliens that was, and not as good. <laughs> yeah, but at least he's ripping off his own film there. That um, is true. Th- the other thing that's just been announced uh, with this release is that it is not going to be released in two forty to one. Which is certainly how I saw it in in the cinema. Um, what about you guys? What ratio did you see it in? Two forty one. Two forty one. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, um, so much for how the director intended. Uh, it's going to be released on disc uh, one seventy eight to one. Yeah. Um, open mat. So. Uh, his argument is it's closer to the IMAX version, which he says was his intention. So I guess we've got to take him uh, on that one and say, well, okay, if that's what you intended, then why did you then, show it in 240 yeah. to 1? Yeah, we want some money back. Yeah, like I have an IMAX at home. Good one, James. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sticking with the blockbusters, uh, Sherlock Holmes, it's out on Region A as we speak, but Region B release is 17th of May. A Guy Ritchie film, another take on the uh, Sherlock Holmes thing. Uh, Guys, what did we think? And uh, obviously the review's up there now, so people can go and have a look at the review on AV Forum's Movies Reviews. I haven't yet seen it, and I want to see it bad. I I have seen this film, and I would highly recommend it. I was deeply surprised by it. Didn't even know Guy Ritchie directed it until the closing credits. What a return to form. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law were absolutely fantastic, incredibly stylish. Thought it was heading in the wrong direction with the mysticism because really, who buys into all that nonsense these days? But came back to the realistic aspect near the close and I'm delighted to see Alan gave it very, very high scores um, for the Blu-ray release for the picture and sound. So definitely one I will be picking up because I'd say it looks stunning. See, that's just made me want to say more. Well, for me, it, it's, I mean, it depends whether you, you can use the phrase Guy Ritchie returned to form. It depends whether you want to argue, did he have any form to return to? Um, Some debate about that. Uh, I'd say one film and it's gone downhill from there. But also being brought up on the Basil Rathbone and Jeremy Brett versions of Sherlock Holmes, it just seems a little strange to see him all of a sudden playing the action hero. I know it's supposed to be closer to the original stories that he was a kind of swashbuckling genius as well. You know, he could bring in gunplay and take men down and the like. But uh, at the end of the day, there's there's something, it's it's almost been built up in, in public consciousness that he is more of a, a thinker than a doer. So for me, it's... It's one of those that treads a very fine line, but I'm afraid I'm I'm not a big Guy Ritchie fan anyway, so it won't probably be for me. Do you rate Guy Ritchie? Um, I enjoyed the first two. I can loathe Revolver. Um, I haven't seen Rock and Roller yet, but um, I I, I want to see this film because just because I, I perhaps not because Guy Ritchie's name's attached to it, more because of um, Danny Junior because he was so good in uh, Iron Man that he's just really sort of maybe sit up and take notice of the guy. And and he's just, if it's a similar type of act to uh, Tony Stark as he's playing um, uh, Holmes, then I think it's going to be a, a terrific film. I don't, it, it's it's just a sort of a reinterpretation of the character, isn't it? He's, all he's done is he's, he's taken away the, the, uh, the, the pipe and the deer stalker and he, and he's, Brought in, brought him sort of up to date, as it were, up to date in a, in a modern sense. It's still set in Victorian times, is that right? I mean, I haven't seen it. So yeah, I'm it is set in of... Victorian times. There's a really cool backdrop with a tower bridge being built in the background, being constructed. It looks really good. Himself and Mickey Rourke are the comeback kids, that's for sure. I, I, 
I, mean, I, I want to see this one. I think it's going to be uh, a terrifically entertaining film. It most so, certainly is. I'm to yeah. enjoy it. Okay, moving on from Sherlock Holmes, uh, let's move on to uh, one film which caused quite a bit of controversy in cinemas, uh, especially with the Odeon group, and that was Alice in Wonderland. And um, before we talk about the film in any way, uh, guys, let's talk about this whole uh, fiasco over the release windows. Now, obviously the idea is uh, to try and get it out on disc as quick as possible because, uh, quite frankly, that's where the majority of a film's revenue is made these days. So we can see the, the argument made by uh, the cinema chains. But, guys, what were your take on this? Yeah, yeah. Odeon didn't want to show the film, did they, at all? Because they felt the release was too... The, the disc release was far too close to the cinema release date, and they thought they were going to lose revenue because people weren't going to pay the 10 quid or whatever it is now to go and see a film. They were thinking people would wait the month or two months i think it's only about two months isn't it and um they thought well we're not going to play it you know and uh, it caused a huge controversy because obviously you know if odian don't take it up then that's what 50 60 percent of the country wouldn't see it um luckily they relented and it's given um everyone a chance to see it because again this is another film in 3d isn't it so you know if you're going to see this film as it's supposed to be seen in 3d then you have to go to the cinema it's the only place to see it as he said, Phil, and as as Mike Bassett was telling us when we were interviewing him, although he never made it onto the videos, uh, a huge percentage of uh, film revenue comes from the DVD and Blu-ray sales. Um, it almost doesn't matter about a theatrical release. Um, the more it makes in theatrical release, obviously, the less it has to make in the home market. But that's where the, the crux is, which is why you're getting all these extras now. Well, I, I just think they've fundamentally underestimated what cinema goers actually want to see it's almost like they've assumed that the time frame of when you you get to see a film is all people are really interested in that you know if it's going to be out on a home format soon then i won't really bother going to the cinema there is a a reason to go there you know not everyone has a massive screen at home not everyone has you know great sound setups at home people go to the cinema for the spectacle of it. And I think if there's one type of film that I definitely want to go to the cinema to see, it would be Tim Burton's imagery. So I, I really can't understand why they've thrown their toys out of the pram on this one. Well, I, I guess the whole thing is, uh, if we cast our minds back to, let's say, 94, 95, I uh, don't know how many of you guys were into the Laserdisc thing back then, but certainly you could buy uh, Laserdiscs of films which... Uh, we're still six months away from the cinema in the UK, and that transferred onto DVD. Certainly, for the first five or six years, it, that was the case. You could, I mean, that's why everybody multi-regioned their players was so they could buy the US releases, which were uncut, and mm -hmm. usually about six months ahead of any UK cinema release. Now, it seems to be that almost all of these big-budget films now are same-day and date release for worldwide release, and. Um, almost within a week or two for for the disc releases as well. So it's definitely uh, uh, something that the film studios are pushing. Um, but do we think it's right? I mean, another argument I've heard uh, when I read Variety was that it was a, a, to try and combat piracy as well. You know, if you can get your hands on the disc quicker, then you don't need to go and buy the £5 disc from the, the Chinese guy in the pub. 
Um, I don't think that washes really. Um, the the piracy aspect. It's just a case of. I mean, the, the, all the piracy comes from inside the studio anyway. You know, it's not it's not in the, not for the public domain. Ooh, controversial. Well, it is, isn't it? Really, it's not. It's, mean, it's you journalists getting the discs early and, and pirating them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You if have to I make mean... money from somewhere. <laughs> you don't pay a cent. If only we could get the disc that early. Cool, blimey. Um, yeah, we still have to work with um, uh, check discs. We never, we never really, rarely, very, very rarely see the the final finished product. But, and the, the whole reason is there is this piracy aspect, which is just absolute nonsense, as far as I can see. Really, you know. Yeah. Again, I, I don't think the the piracy angle washes. I'm I'm particularly taken with size argument about industry insiders, and that's how I've always seen it. You you hear the same thing in most industries you hear it in the gaming industry as well usually when something's been uh leaked on the net or the like there's usually some story about a clampdown on security or the amount of early code or review copies and this kind of thing being sent out and uh, i i just can't really see where they're coming from with this and also they're underestimating just how much a, a good um cinematic run can put forward in terms of marketing that does push forward dvd sales as well and it creates a buzz around the film you know the the worry is is that if if things stop getting decent cinematic runs then we're going to stop seeing the big spectacle movies we're going to stop seeing things being made specifically for a large screen but do do you not think that that's the whole point you know they're building this this hype up about the film that's hit the cinema and so on so that's why they're getting the disc out quicker to stop people buying the, the pirate DVD at the Sunday market. Yeah, I mean, like, I know I think the piracy aspect is, is is a major factor. I mean, like, I know plenty of people who would be more than happy to watch an awful cam copy of a movie on a whatever 20-inch LCD and be perfectly happy with that. Not all people want to see it on the big screen. You know what I mean? They're quite happy to watch rubbish qualities, and that's the guys buying five-euro copies from the Chinese guy in the pub or watching on the net. And you know what I mean, that is going to continue because people are not willing to pay extortionate prices for movies and then add on another two or three quid for 3D. I mean, like, I actually went to see Alice in Wonderland only on Friday in preparation for this podcast. Thank you very much. And I went up to the booth and I said to the young gentleman, I had bought cheap tickets from work and they were only €5 Euro each, half the price. And I said to him, can I see Alice in Wonderland in 3D, please? And he said, no, these tickets will not work for 3D films. And I said, why not? He goes, it costs extra. So I said, okay, I'll pay the extra. How much is it? Two euro. Fair enough. I goes, what am I paying this extra two euro for? He said, oh, for the glasses. And I said, I've got glasses at home from Avatar. Um, If I bring them in, do I have to pay the extra two euro? Ah, yeah, you still have to pay it. Why? Because it's in 3D. So I just left it. But at the end of the movie, there was a huge box of 3D glasses. So I took 10 pairs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will never be able to use them, but I took them anyway out of a matter of principle. Well, at least you can go down the pub and watch uh, the football in 3D with them. Exactly. No, we were wearing them all around the shopping centre going, ooh, everything's in 3D, but it wasn't. We're just sim- <laughs> But it should be a true life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, anyway, Alice in Wonderland, what's it like, Joe? It is, in summation, Harry Potter on acid. It is absolutely fantastical the world he creates is amazing there's talking flowers there's 
the Red Queen's castle is incredible. She's got a whole army of fish and monkeys servants. The the fish are holding up tables. The monkeys are holding up lights. She beheads everyone. Johnny Depp is absolutely incredible as the Mad Hatter. You've got a couple of great voice actors. You've got Stephen Fry as the Cheshire Cat, who's one of the most amusing animated characters I've ever seen in my life. And then Alan Rickman as the Stoner Blue Caterpillar. Um, there's some very strong performances. The movie kind of stumbles along. It doesn't, it doesn't flow very well. It's most certainly exciting, but it does feel as though it's all been done before. There's not a whole lot of novel, you know, or any new, new aspects to the actual plot. But from a visual side of things, yeah, wow, it is stunning. And there's even an enormous dragon in it, which just makes everything better. Although the end battle was a bit lame, in my opinion. Um, I'm a massive fan of 3D, but Phil, I have to say, it slightly ruined it for me because I spent the whole movie taking off my glasses and putting them back on to check the loss of light and colour. And you're right, you do lose a lot of light and cover, colour. So 3D may be ruined for me forever. But I am going to still see Clash of the Titans, though. I think Tim Burton always brings something interesting to the worlds that he creates. And so I'm certainly, I certainly think he's got a better pedigree than, um, well, most other directors, including Cameron for creating worlds that would benefit from being in 3D. Okay, so that's Alice in Wonderland. It's at the cinemas now. It's coming on disc on the 12th of July, and it's going to be a two-disc set, but we don't know anything else other than that. So moving on, and uh, finally we're going to end uh, the podcast uh, this month with uh, Battleship Pokemon. Battleship Pokemon, one of my favourite films. I'm delighted to see it on Blu-ray, especially the uncompressed sound. 5.1 DTS HD for a silent movie. What a fantastic idea. It's all about Pikachu in his starship, battling with other Pokemon like Squirtle and fighting against Russians. Sounds incredible. <laughs> I don't think I can add to that. That sounds, sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's go to um, our expert on silent films, Simon, and tell us exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about... Um... Battleship Potemkin, of course, um, released by Kino Video. Um, now, Kino Video were uh, responsible for the uh, first um, full-length restoration of Nosferatu on DVD way, way, way back. Um, they um, coloured it and they put in the correct colours. They give the um, proper intertitles. Um, so they've done a very, very good um, print of it. Um, this... Uh, there was a, an HD version of it on uh, a, a week or so on Sky Arts, one of the Sky Arts channels, and I happened to watch it, and it was awful, terrible, terrible picture. But I'm confident that Kino will will, will give us a a very very nice, clean, tidied up picture. Of course, it's a seminal film. Um, it's a, a retelling of the um, uh, Russian Revolution by uh, by sailors on on the uh, battleship Potemkin of the same name. Um, with the very, very famous scene of the uh, pram rolling down the stairs and the people shooting each other and, and uh, trying to catch the pram as, as it falls down the stairs, of course. Much copied, much parodied, um, probably most famously in the... Um, Crunching Untouchables. Ad. In the Crunchy Conflict Eggs, yes, and the, uh, and the Untouchables. But as um, Joe says, yes, we do have a 5.1 master audio surround sound. That's going to be with the score, of course. It's not going to be complete silence. Um, it's in its original aspect ratio. It's going to have um, English subtitles. There's going to be plenty of um, supplements, I would think. Um, 
it's that's going to be well worth it's it's a slightly limited release i think because you know not very many people are going to be swayed into the silent cinema but um if you are into this type of um imagery and and it's a seminal film a truly truly great film um then it's it's worth picking up and certainly having a look and i'm hoping we can review it on site but, but we'll see Okay, so uh, that's Battleship Pokemon, and uh, I, I lied there. We are not quite finished yet, uh, guys, are because uh, there's a big seminal release coming out, and this is your clue. So, uh, what are we Metallica. talking about, guys? Yeah, <laughs> Metallica DVD, Paris. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't find Sergio Leone. We had to go with Metallica. But, uh, Simon, tell us about the release. Well, um, this isn't an official release, so this is actually just an ad in, um, in Amazon, which we're going to take as gospel, because they're normally pretty good. But we have, at long last, a British release of The Good, The Bag and The Ugly. But it's not just the good, the bad and the ugly. It's a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more all together in one nice, neat Blu-ray package purely for us Brits. My God, isn't this exciting? Absolutely. Released on the 7th of June, three discs, just awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, And I literally cannot wait because we're all fingers crossed. We're hoping... We are hoping, hoping, hoping that The Good, The Bag and The Ugly gets a much better release than they did for the MGN one in, uh, in the United States of, uh, of a year or two back. This is very, very exciting news and I cannot wait. And I know Chris, although he's not here, he will be at home chomping at the bit for these because he asked me to order these for him must be four years ago when blu-ray first started coming out he's saying when these films come out i must have them i must have them i must have them and i get an email oh once a month or so maybe saying are they coming out yet? are they coming out and i could write back to him and say yes they are coming out and he was ecstatic so good news I was okay. more excited about Metallica. Did you say the good, the bag, and the ugly? The good, the bag, the good bag. Yeah. <laughs> I could have, when you said the good, the bag, and the ugly. It is a good bag. He was yeah. getting too excited there. Anyway, uh, that wraps up our podcast uh, for this month. We are back again uh, first week in April, hopefully, uh, with our review roundup. So join us for that one. Uh, but all I have to do now is thank Simon, Chair, and Mark for this evening's podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Thank Cheers you. Well. And uh, like I say, join us again first week of April for our review roundup. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bell. Asset and Richard Cosgrove. The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2M Limited.